Welcome to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week, and I am your host. Together, over the past four years, we've compiled a list of the UK's top 50 customer experience professionals, the CX50. And in this podcast series, we talk to members of this esteemed group about what puts them and their brands at the forefront of customer experience. Over the coming months, we'll be meeting organisational leaders, brand guardians, disruptors, technologists and growth drivers, all members of this exclusive group. Joining us today is Chris Pitt, CEO of First Direct. A marketer-turned-CEO, Chris leads an organisation that has, for many years, been considered a gold standard for customer service, a notable feat in a sector not exactly known for its CX or indeed service. Hello, Chris. Thanks for joining us from FD's busy contact centre. Hello, Russell. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Now, also alongside us to discuss the role of the C-suite in delivering customer experience is John Riley, Experience Strategy Director at Cognizant Digital Experience. Hello, John, and also brilliant to have you here. Hi, Russell. Hi, Chris. Uh, very glad to be here. Now, let's uh, let's crack on and get straight into it. First question for you, Chris. Uh, I mean, you're responsible for setting strategy, full stop. But what's the role of the CEO in delivering customer experience and in delivering a customer-centric culture? I'd like to think that I'm at the heart of that, Russell. So uh, I think the key is setting the tone and that customer experience absolutely matters. For instance, at the very beginning, that I'm a marketeer turned CEO, it may be a nod to why so many CFOs end up as CEOs rather than marketeers. Because it's it's so much harder, I think, to write down what CX is uh, and what it represents to an organisation. Um, so setting the tone, I think understanding what, what matters relative to the CX experience. Clearly, again, you referenced in your introduction that in banking, we're not naturally famous for CX and, and what matters in banking is not necessarily what matters in in other industries. I think the other thing is balance. It's quite easy for any organisation to focus on one thing myopically. I think creating a balance as a CEO uh, across a number of metrics in a way that doesn't make the business feel disparate or dysfunctional, but equally makes sure that CX continues to have the right representation. Sticking with you, if I could, Chris, uh, you've You've posed a few questions for yourself, really. So let me just push you for a a bit of illustration. I mean, defining what matters and what CX is, I mean, what does that mean to you? And in particular, what does it mean for First Direct, as we've both alluded to in a sector that uh, perhaps is different, uh, definitely, uh, certainly under more regulatory constraints than others? Yeah, I think, I mean, in banking in particular, it's, it's actually just getting it done quickly primarily. The way that I define banking, uh, and it's born of some insight that we've done most recently, is actually is kind of fast banking and slow banking. You know, there's paying for your, uh, your fuel at a, a petrol station or uh, the grocery line in a shop, and then there's sorting out your pensions and your life assurance and things that really matter to you into the future. So thinking especially around um, fast banking, it is extraordinarily dull. But it's also, in some ways, extraordinarily complicated. And, and that's the point of tension within our industry, really. It's very dull, but it's also perceived to be very complicated. So what you really want to do in, in the CX experience, be that 
delivered digitally or face-to-face or over the phone is understand what matters somebody and sort it out for them very quickly in a way that they understand that it's actually been delivered to. That, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 odd years. It is broadly what it is. Uh, it's very, very hard to do. And you nodded to, to FD's competence in that over a long period of time, much beyond when I started here. And it has been materially at the forefront of what FD is about, primarily because in 1989, when FD was first set up, we didn't have branches when branches were central to what a bank was. And therefore the founding fathers and mothers for that matter, made sure that CX was absolutely at the heart of FD because it was really important for the commercial and strategic delivery of the business. At a time when I suppose the phrase CX wasn't commonly used, if used at all. I love that, by the way, dull but complicated. I mean, that's quite a challenging brief for any FinServe uh, marketer looking to bring to life a proposition. Just pause with any other thoughts for the time being, Chris, and let me bring John in. I suppose ask you a similar question. I mean, what is the role uh, of the C-suite as far as you see it in delivering CX? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I think um, it's a really apt question because oftentimes the big question around CX is who owns it, right? Who's who's really delivering it? I mean, I think in my experience working with, with clients sort of in financial services and beyond, one of the biggest value adds that leadership can provide is really twofold, I would say. I think one is really just connecting the dots, right? It's so easy for folks within an organization to get focused within their silo, within their specific KPIs, and actually lose sight of how those things then come together to ultimately deliver um, an experience, right? And that can break down, right, in many areas, right? If you have a frontline um, service worker who's having a bad day, or if you have an actuary that is a bit too risk averse, <laughs> and your pricing's out of whack, right? It can it can really fall down in, in, in many areas. So I think actively connecting the dots, encouraging teams to collaborate uh, across the piece and really align against sort of the broader outcomes of the organization, as opposed to kind of the specific KPIs within a specific functions gift, I think is a really important role of the C-suite. And I guess the other piece is um, kind of implicit in your question, which is that really establishing a culture that has the customer at its core is something that has to live and breathe within an organization, but importantly has to be um, something that is lived and breathed at C-suite level. Um, so so demonstrating that, um, demonstrating sort of the expectation of what good looks like and holding everyone, um, including that leadership group to account is a role really that the C-suite can play. Thanks for that. I will come back in a moment to that question of ownership because I think it's a really interesting one but bringing you back in Chris uh, to some of those points I mean let me tell a little story back in the early 90s I worked for First Direct and the importance of customer service and going the extra mile was impressed upon the uh, in everything we did every syllable that we uttered so I know it's been there from the beginning and I suppose in that case it was part of the mindset I mean fast forward lots of years many many years more years than I care to remember I mean how how does it work now Chris Um, how do you embed that culture how do you make sure that every dot is joined because it's it's easy easy said more difficult I imagine to actually do you know it's it's a very good uh, very good question uh, Russell and I think you know, I've worked for a number of organisations, uh, Tesco, um, M&S, uh, HSBC. And 
you know, I'm very cognizant that no CEO stands up at the front uh, of a meeting, either literally or um, theoretically, and says they're not for the customer. Um, but so a few, few organisations manage to deliver on it. I think the key word that I would use relative to FD is empathy. We famously, very famously at the very beginning, and I, I absolutely hold my off my cap to the people who set this organization up, you know, zigged when everybody else was zagging, if you like, in terms of recruiting people who were not bankers, were not financial services people at heart, but they recruited on the basis of attitude and, and the ability of those people to be empathetic and engage with the people they're talking to. And that, I know, runs through this organization to today. So on, on a Friday, um, I attend an FD graduation ceremony where we bring new people out of our academy and talk to them. And I talk to them uh, of their journey of the last six to eight weeks of being trained. And that idea of investing in them, of training them, but the humanness and the humanity that zings out of them is tangible um, in the way that they talk to me and the, the way they talk about their trainers. And it absolutely plays out in the life. So I, I listen to calls every week I was listening to a lady handling calls oh, two or three weeks ago. She'd, she'd worked in a, in a retailer and she was desperate to get into FD. She lives around here in our main site in Leeds because of that knowledge and understanding of FD as a company that deals in humanity, not only for the customer and the empathy we show, but also for the, the people that we employ. So I think that the killer word is empathy. It's not, you know, and I absolutely agree with John, you need to get the systems and processes lined up. You need the infrastructure lined up behind it. But you need um, a kind of a non-tangible thread through your organization where people instantaneously know that, that that is vitally important. And they don't come to the meeting talking about the PNL first of all. They come talking about the impact on the customer. Has it changed or does that fundamental approach change as the uh, years go by uh, behind that question is essentially obviously now when I worked there and when First Direct began it was all direct and direct phone uh, now you've got mobile apps and online banking and countless other ways no doubt for customers to engage with you and for you to offer a service and an experience so is it still that mindset is it still that approach regardless of the platform and channel that they wish to engage you with or has it complicated and added other layers to delivering experience? Well, I think it can be complicating if you come at it relative to the functional elements of the delivery of the service itself. I think it's much more straightforward if you come out of what matters to what I would describe as, as the punter. What we've had some pressures, as a lot of companies have in, during COVID and our telephony service, because you, you're never really sure how many calls you're going to get because we're in historically kind of uncharted waters. So our calls went up 23% between June and July, August, as the UK came out of lockdown. So we encountered a, a kind of a pressure within our, our telephony operation. At the same time, 97% of the transactions in FD are digital. 70% of the customers are mobile, digitally active within the last 30 days. So what customer experience plays out to those people is very different. When the telephony service is under pressure, the people want the bank that existed in 1994, rather than there's a whole swathe of FD customers who are kind of completely blindsided by any issues within the telephony service. So when I deliberately wrote out 
because I think honesty is central to any company's DNA as well. I wrote to all our customers and said, I'm really sorry about the telephony service we've offered. I got an awful lot of letters back saying, I've got no idea that you've got any issues with your telephony service because they're dealing with us digitally. But what it did do, it talked to the fact that we were prepared to be open around how we deliver our service. So I think there's, you come out of what matters to those customers. I, I think the, the real challenge within your question though for me is how do you bring to life excellent customer service it's quite easy to deliver okay digital service especially people who've got no comparator but it's what we find is the people who've engaged with, to the humanity and empathy of fd even if most of their transactions are digital think about it in a completely different way to those who applied on a mobile and never ever engaged us I can imagine, and it's definitely my experience, having grown up as a customer of, uh, of FD in one way, um, it does it does colour and illustrate experiences that I have with other channels that you offer as well, um, in a positive way generally. John, if I could bring you in rather than me reminisce about my time at First Direct for the rest of this podcast. Uh, Chris has talked uh, a moment ago about the way he embeds a culture uh, obviously, in First Direct's case, the greatest advocates that he has are perhaps the staff uh, that work for First Direct. I hear the term employee experience and the importance of that in delivering customer experience. Talk to me about what that means and why that's important. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really important question that I'm glad is get, start beginning to get a bit more uh, attention these days. But I, I truly believe that kind of an engaged employee or numerous employees sit behind almost every great customer experience. So these sort of conversations around culture, employee experience, and customer experience are really intertwined. And I think as we think about sort of cultures that enable great customer experiences, I think what you'll find is that it's not as if there's been a, a program to develop a culture of customer experience that enables that. It really has to sit at the core of the DNA of that organization. Um, so if you think about brands that are kind of renowned for their customer experience, no two experiences are the same, right? So Amazon looks very different from Ritz-Carlton. And so it's really about, okay, what is your unique perspective on how you're going to be delivering value to your customers? And then you build an organization and a culture which really enables that. And I think we know that sort of behind every good experience, lots of things have had to go right, right across those things like systems, platforms, tools. And the only thing that um, the kind of uh, dark matter, shall we say, <laughs> that helps all of those things move together in the right way to deliver those delightful experiences, I think really is the culture that sits around it. So they re really are intertwined. The other thing that I would say is that in terms of how you actually create that engaged employee who really sort of understands the culture and understands sort of what that brand and customer promise is that they're sort of one small part of helping to deliver is that you actually really have to demonstrate that with your employees just as much as you do to your customer. So when Chris was talking about the woman in the call center who worked in retail and really wanted to work for First Direct, I mean, that is a testament to the fact that that's part of the DNA of the organization and not just part of a marketing campaign or something to attract customers, right? So I think if an organization wants to become more customer-centric, 
they've really got to start deeper <laughs> than just saying, okay, what are the pain points within this existing journey or within this specific channel, but really think about how it is that they want people to feel that they've been treated and then ensure that they're doing that internally as much as they are externally. Mm. I mean, customer centricity has become somewhat of a, a buzzword, but uh, actually doing it is a lot more complicated than I think most people uh, give credit for. Thank you for that. I did promise that we'll come back to the question of ownership when it comes to CX. And let me ask uh, Chris the question whether or not there is a department, a individual that you would look to to lead it. Uh, it's been said by many, and not just myself, that marketing and marketers should be, are, are indeed well-placed the nominal voice of the customer to do that. But I mean, how, how do you see that? Is it, is it one person or one function's job or, or otherwise? Personally, I don't think it is. But I think I would say, again, from my experience, is it's dependent upon the scale of the organization. So I see myself in my job as the ultimate brand guardian. Again, I think I wouldn't want to overclaim about my own personal abilities in this space, but I suppose it comes out of my experience in my working life, really. I've worked as a marketeer for many, many years, and, and coming into this job, I bring with it kind of my experiences and understanding as a marketeer into this job, really. So I, it's very important to me, and this is to say that it doesn't exist today, but it was very important to me to put purpose and values at the heart of First Direct and to articulate them in a way that is understood, powerful, and engaging for the majority of FD people. But in, in my organization, I do see myself as the ultimate brand guardian. Saying that, uh, again, my experience in bigger organizations is I think the marketing function, its secret weapon in driving and, and kind of being a catalyst for brilliant customer services insight. You know, again, I'd like to think all good marketers kind of our superpower is empathy but what we need is the insight to power that empathy rather than the facts and again my experience is bankers and again this i don't say that with any disrespect to them are brilliant at lots of things but empathy doesn't tend to be it and they also understand lots of facts but some of them misunderstand facts as insights and understanding the why because I then think I think the marketing functions then is to communicate and educate the rest of the organisation as to the why, that they can then go and be customer guardians themselves, if you like, customer experience guardians themselves, that actually can deliver it. I think the danger, and I've seen this when I worked at Tesco, is that if the marketing department kind of claim ownership for that, in some ways they make the rest of the, the organisation feel as though the marketing department got to do it. And therefore, it kind of disconnects them from having skin in the game relative to moving it on. Because we all know that, they say, the operational teams can influence customer experience to a vastly greater extent than what the marketing teams own in their day jobs. So getting them to understand what they need to do and then making them sure that they then deliver on it, in my experience, is a more powerful way of doing it rather than having one team or group of people who kind of own it in totality. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, people listening won't be able to see this, but John was uh, nodding along in agreement to many of the things that you were saying then. John, I mean, uh, what's your take on this? Is it is it one department's responsibility or, as I suspect, uh, do you think it's something that's shared? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it is a trick question, right? Obviously, everyone is kind of important in terms of um, delivering an experience. But I think the the danger of having three folks from the world of marketing is that we'll all say marketing is critically important <laughs> in terms of uh, d- delivering or, or helping the organization really understand how you actually deliver an experience, which will be perceived as delightful from the customer perspective. I think in terms of, uh, in the language of your question, sort of who are these strategic CX leads? I think you need those folks really across the organization. I think the challenge is that, um, to, to Chris's point, you need folks who are sort of at their core quite empathetic to play that role. And it'll be easier to find those folks, I think, in some functions rather than others. But I think that's not to say that um, you you won't find the odd banker or the odd customer service person who actually have a good sense of, of, of empathy and can really understand how when you have a decision in front of you, one of those decisions might be right from one perspective, but another one of those decisions might be the right thing to do if what you have at the heart of that decision-making process is, is customer need at its core. So I guess my recommendation would be, and I've seen this work well, is really finding those CX champions across the organization who have that core sort of natural ability and really elevating them to be able to demonstrate what good looks like, keep the the broader organization honest. And also, it's one thing for um, our customer insights folks or marketers to go around an organization and sort of preach uh, customer empathy. But I think actually, if you are a a banker, hearing another banker talk about sort of the benefits of being empathetic and what that actually looks like actually goes quite a long way. So so I'd encourage listeners to really search far and wide for those people who are naturally predisposed to being those customer champions and and really elevating them throughout um, the organization. And is that how you avoid sort of silos? Because... uh, Departments' functions have historically, in many organisations, operated in their own space, not necessarily looking outside. And as we've already discussed, uh, the key to experience is making sure that you join the dots. So is it, what's the challenge there? Is it a structural one? Is it, or is it just finding those advocates and making sure that they're leading efforts? No, it's a, it's a really good question. I think oftentimes... Um, the silos come from a sense of kind of ownership and responsibility. So for example, I'm working with a, an insurer at the moment to uh, digitize one of their, their processes. And we had a long debate about sort of who the core team should be. Um, and I fought really hard to have uh, compliance and fraud be a part of that core team. Because if you go to them with a the solution, they're going to say, okay, my role in this capacity is to provide the fraud stroke compliance point of view, right? And that's what they'll do. But if they're part of the sort of working team to deliver this experience, then they can work with you and be creative in terms of coming up with solutions that are doing right by the customer, but also the right thing for the business. And so I think as you structure teams against initiatives, really thinking through the areas that might be unintuitive, but can really undermine an experience and bringing those folks in early in the process so that they have a sense of ownership over that initiative and not just representing kind of the function within the organization that they represent. Thank you for that. Let me just uh, switch gears a little bit to talk about investment and making the case. I mean, CX is a, a culture, it's a mindset, it's about getting the right people in. And that mix of empathy and understanding and appreciation of customer needs. None of that is free, but in terms of investment, there are things that you need to actually spend some money on. I mean, Chris, let me come to you firstly. I mean, people might come to you or you have to go externally, say, to HSBC and make that case for CX. So what's the what's the silver bullet in making the case for investment in improving customer experience? Would you say both if somebody was to come to you and in going to somebody else, which I'm sure you've had experience of? Yeah, I mean, where I'd start with is, again, 
what matters to them and then talk CX in the language of what matters to them. Yeah, in my experience as a marketer trying to get investment in marketing more broadly, we often talk in the language of brand to people who understand P&Ls. And when you've got to try and persuade them, it's just a complete fool's errand. But if you talk about brand and CX in the language of a P&L, then you've got them. So I think commercialization would be a key one. But equally, relative to the people you might need to influence, especially across a board, um, I think there's other things in there. I think reputation of the organization, both of the business and the brand. First Direct has a, a reputation to keep, and therefore there is a, a real story around investment in FD relative to our position and not losing our position uh, and, and enhancing it as, as you alluded to before, Russell, the kind of the modernity of the world impinges upon us. I think regulators and media, as you, you, again, you, you referenced at the beginning that you know, I live in a very regulated world. And, and again, you know, John talked about compliance and fraud. They tend to be um, compliance, both the legal function as well as the, the regulatory compliance function tend to be very strong in the financial services companies. If you can show that customer experience investment is going to help keep the wall from the door relative to the regulators, it's not going to do you any harm in persuading people that it's the right thing to do. So I, d I do think there's a real part to play in some people who you need to influence doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, but it doesn't matter. Talk in terms of commercial and uh, business outcomes uh, is what I'm taking away from that. Thank you, Chris. Uh, same question for you, John. I mean, if uh, if you were offering somebody some advice in making a case for CX investment, what would the key advice be? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's aligned with what Chris was just saying, but I think um, in the same way that kind of as marketing evolved as a discipline, marketers became better at sort of putting together investment case with actual ROI and business case behind it. I think from a CX perspective, design decisions um, as we make them in their most sort of fundamental form should be based on what's going to deliver the most value, right, to the relevant stakeholders, the business and to, to customers. And if we're actually doing CX design using sort of value frameworks in that way, then rolling that up to sort of a Exco presentation around why this investment is justified should be rather easy. <laughs> so I think we as kind of CX professionals need to really hold ourselves to account in this way in terms of making sure that we're actually bringing in the right data, the right insights at the right time to understand the value that each of our design decisions are driving so that we can make those investment case more consistently, but also hold ourselves to account um, as we deliver experiences, test and learn um, over time. So I think this is a question that's an important one because I feel oftentimes we'll say, hey, you can build this shiny new product, shall we say, and it's going to be great for brand and our reputation. And we can say we have an app as cool as Monzo without actually the rigor behind it to say why this is a good business decision. And I think increasingly that will be required and quite frankly, will make our design decisions better over time. Thanks for that. Let me look forward or ask you two to look forward a little bit. Uh, if there's a, a trend that you're seeing in CX that will influence, if not determine, the future of delivery of CX in the medium to long, what, what are you seeing, Chris? What are you looking out for? I would reference back to one of my previous answers, Russell, I think, is, is really staying touch tight to the customer with your insight at a fundamental level. I think picking up on what John just said there, I think you get lost in the shiny and new. 
uh, you get lost in the kind of the tech, especially in the tech delivery, but kind of asking whether it's material to the customer. And I'm very conscious of when I work for Tesco, I had the opportunity to speak to Terry Leahy for an hour or so, as all marketing people who joined Tesco did at the time. And he said, follow the customer. And I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. I think that you then, as most marketeers of any standing recognise, is that if you followed the customer, you'd never have launched ATMs. Uh, you'd have never launched an iPhone. So you kind of do need to have a leap of faith relative to the experience that you want to generate. But I think that is often evolved out of looking at best in class in, in other industries and in other countries and challenging yourself to run those down. As I say, staying touch tight to the customer and recognising the core insights. What, what can't they do that they want to do? And I think in, in our industry, what my head of digital has reminded me of most recently, which I thought was really fascinating insight really, is that a lot of digital banking has replicated the things that you could do before digital existed. But now we're starting to create digital experiences and customer experiences that existed before you had branches and before you had call centers, the creating new things that people can do. And I think, so the final part of my answer, sorry, it's been mildly rambling, would be that you, you kind of triangulate those thoughts and allow people to kind of bring to bear customer insight and the technological advances and see what, what you'll create, what, what happens out of that mix. So that would be my thoughts. Thank you. I think you've given me uh, two answers for the price of one. I was going to ask you for your key advice, but you've sort of folded both a trend and some advice into one there. So I'll open the floor to John for, well, those two questions. Firstly, uh, what's the thing, the trend that uh, will define CX? Uh, and then if I can ask you also to offer your thoughts on a single piece of advice that you would impart to people if they were asking you for such. Yeah, no, uh, both um, really great questions. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest trends that I see emerging that I think it's going to be really critical um, for people thinking about customer experience to get their head around quickly is the idea of kind of responsible design. And, and when I say responsible design, I don't just mean kind of accessibility, but I mean designing and delivering experiences in an inclusive way, in an ethical way, and in a sustainable way. I, I feel like especially in financial services, as, as firms have gone out with these ESG commitments without really understanding how they're going to deliver against them, this is an area which I think represents an opportunity, but also can be a risk if some of these practices aren't reevaluated in terms of how responsible they are. So, for example, when you're structuring uh, customer research, making sure that you're doing that in an inclusive way, that you have uh, inclusive teams um, looking after elements of the experience, that when you make design choices, are you doing them to optimize a KPI or are you actually helping customers achieve what they want to achieve along that journey? How can we design even digital products to be more sustainable? I think these are the types of questions um, that will be increasingly asked as these issues just um, stay kind of at the top of the priority list. And in terms of advice, I mean, I think it's kind of linked to this, but I think we all know kind of that the future of financial services is really built on data and also creating these financial platforms. And in many ways, from a customer perspective, customers are going to be asked to pull up a lot more trust than they already do in terms of um, in certain financial institutions. So with trust comes a lot of responsibility, right? And I think my advice would be really think through how you're actually actively gaining consent from customers to be able to use their data in interesting ways, be really transparent about 
how that data is being used, the benefits that it will provide to the customer, and building sort of that sense of transparency and, and two-way dialogue into those customer relationships. Because the last thing that you'll want is to launch your new open banking strategy and then um, have a story, right, come out to say, hey, money was taken out of my account that I didn't consent to. Um, and, I, and I think that's the danger. So really think in a concerted way about how you can actually make sure that you're taking care of those relationships and, and really earning the trust um, that customers will be giving you. So it's, uh, it's sage and very important advice. Obviously, there's there's first party data to be hoovered up everywhere, but uh, I don't think there's quite enough people, present company accepted, of course, that uh, are quite asking enough times, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do for our customers? Uh, thank you, John. And thank you, Chris. I mean, the thing that stands out to me more than anything else is, yes, it's a question around culture. And it's a question around structure often in achieving better CX. But I've come back to something that Chris said earlier, and it's about empathy. Uh, It's about following customers and understanding them, uh, which is about insight. And as I say, empathy, and that's true customer centricity. Uh, So thank you, Chris. Thank you, John, for uh, telling your stories and offering your insight. And thanks to everybody that listened. Until next time, from myself, Chris and John, goodbye. Thank you very much for inviting me. I think it was a great session and um, goodbye. Thanks so much, Chris and Russell. I really enjoyed the conversation. You have been listening to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue from Bauer London Creative. Look out for the next episode when we will meet another CX leader and member of the CX50. Until then, goodbye.